Ephesians chapter 3. While you get that, I'll get set up and we'll be all good. Oh, look at that. I have an assistant. Thank you. Thank you. What was that? <laughs> we'll see about that. I, I've got nothing. Maybe you've got to go to Brendan for that. So the call was for a bit of magic. Yeah, not going to happen. So. Mm. Alrighty, so Ephesians uh, chapter 3, we'll be reading from verses 14 uh, through to 21. Ephesians three fourteen to 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. May God bless this reading of his word and may he bless us as we look at getting into uh, the message he's uh, given me to speak this morning. Before we do that, just a just couple of uh, housekeeping things um, so that you know what's going on. Pastor David's not present with us this morning. He's over at Hertford Street with his wife. Hertford Street has their 60th anniversary today, which is something worth celebrating. And uh, Josh will actually be inducted by uh, the Acting General Superintendent, Stuart Peeper, uh, this morning as well. So please be praying for those guys. Uh, we also don't have Pastor Daryl and Rhonda here this morning. Uh, they're still, uh, will they be in the mode of traveling at this stage, coming back from Sydney? Please continue to pray for Pastor Daryl and his father in particular as uh, he reaches his last days. And obviously, Pastor Daryl and Rhonda are desperate for him to come into a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Alvin is also on holidays at the moment. You will see him around the building because we have the Amazing Grace Worship Team team uh, ministering to our Asian congregations this morning. So please keep all those things in mind as we pray and uh, uh, throughout the day and uh, certainly uh, be praying now as I bring you this message. When I stand before you guys, I, 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 it's a privilege to bring God's Word. It's, it's not an expectation I have. It's not um, something I believe is a right I have as a pastor of this church. I believe each and every day is a privilege. And as I bring this word this morning, it's a word that has impacted me greatly. And uh, I've put a bit of research into this, and um, it's such a powerful passage that we have before us. And I really want you to understand that. And um, this is a prayer of Paul, and it's an incredibly powerful prayer. And I hope that by the end of the message this morning, that we'll all have our eyes a little bit more open. We'll understand a little bit more about what it is to live for Jesus and how we should be as a church, as a people of God. But I want you to think about this church in particular right now. I want you to think about SDBC. I want you to think about the people who come along here. In fact, look around. Eyeball some of the people you know. Think about the situations that they are facing Think about what they're going through day to day. The reality of this people of God gathered here this morning is that there are some that are seriously hurting. 
There are some people who are questioning their faith. There are some people who are wondering why they even bother. There's some people who are angry. There's some people who are serious liars and deceivers. There's some people who truly know God's love. There's some people who are celebrating who the Lord is. There's some people who have come this morning with great anticipation of what God is going to say. They believe they are going to encounter God. They're longing for more of Him. And these are the people that are gathered here this morning. And I stand before you. I firmly believe I am called by God and I was called by the people of SDBC to be one of the spiritual leaders of this church in this place at this time. There's people here who don't even believe that. There's people here who don't even believe I'm a Christian. But that's on them. When I prepare a message and stand before you, I can't even consider that. I can't even think about that. I have to think about what God has to say to each and every one of us gathered here this morning. The word I bring you has to be a word from God. What I say from the front has to matter. And I ask you just to believe that. We as your spiritual leaders wrestle with God's word each and every day. And the messages we bring, we believe he's told us to bring. And so the question is, what's God saying to us this morning? And more importantly, have you come ready to hear? Are you here to hear from God? Let's pray. Father God, you know the time, the stress, the agony that often goes into bringing a word to your people. It's been the same through all the ages, Lord. And Lord, as a spiritual leader, someone I thought I would never be, I thank you, you challenge me. I thank you, you give me words which I couldn't acquire myself. And Lord, I just pray, oh, I beg you, I ask, that everyone who hears my voice now will hear from you this morning. Reveal the truth of your word, Lord. Let us submit to you. Let us be a people who want to engage with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, Houston. Let's try that again. All right. I ask you to think about the church gathered here at SCBC. And as we continue through this message this morning, I want you to do that. I want you to think about those people around you. I want you to think about what they might be going through. But I don't want you to do that in a judgmental fashion. I want you to think about what they're going and I want you to have a heart of wanting to help them. I want you to be thinking about what God is saying to you that you can impart on them, His will and purpose for them and their lives. 
I also want you to think about the world that we live in. It really is a crazy world. There's so many things that demand our attention, and if we let them, they'll draw us away from God. The, crazy, the, the thing is, the world out there always has been and always will be crazy. It was in Jesus' day, and it is today. But what we have to be aware of is what's actually happening in the church. Paul is a guy I so desperately, dearly love. He's so powerful in the things he says. And Paul speaks to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. And he gives him a warning in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 4. He says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, this is the way it's going to be. This is the last days coming. We're going to see this happening more and more and more. People are going to be turning away from God. This is what the attitudes are going to be. But Timothy, that's not the hardest thing to take in what I'm telling you. The hardest thing to take in what I'm telling you is that this is what the church is going to look like. This is the verse that comes straight after what I've just said. They will have the appearance of godliness, but they will deny its power. Timothy, avoid such people. Have nothing to do with them. They are damaging. And these people have the appearance of godliness. They are present within the church. They are ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Their attitudes and their actions ultimately reveal their lack of inward change and transformation. They're self-serving. They've always been present in the church down through the ages and they will continue to be so. But it's not all doom and gloom. We cannot control what happens outside this building. The world will always be the world. They will always be trying to draw people away from God and his message. They will always be trying to break down our belief systems. They'll always be trying to turn against the church. We're told that continuously throughout scripture. But if we're willing, God can change what's happening in here. God can do big things in here. But it's all choices by the individuals. Joshua 24, 15 says, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's about making that conscious choice. It's about saying, come whatever, we are still going to serve the Lord. We're going to stand powerfully for Him. We're going to instruct our children. We're going to grow them up in the faith. When people come into our household, we're going to talk about our Lord and Savior. We're going to encourage people because we're going to open the Word with them. We want to see people serving the Lord, and even if they won't, I'm going to continue in my household. That is the declaration we should make, each and every one of us. But rightfully, you can say, how do we start? I think we've allowed our people, our churches to become weak because we don't encourage people to do this type of thing at home. And that's not on you, that's on us, that's on the leaders. And I want to apologise for leaders who historically have not been all they can be for you. But where do we start? How do we start? I think that's a good question. 
If we want to change the heart and culture of Sunnybank, we have to start somewhere. If we keep doing what we're doing, things won't change. And when we think about starting somewhere, we have to make sure that where we start is in line with Scripture and is in line with God's purposes and plans and will. But we have to start. We have to be willing to step out. We can't stay stationary. We can't be inactive. We have to go on the offence. And I believe the passage that we've read this morning is a powerful example of what we can do. I want you to think about Paul. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And Paul says, for this reason. What reason is he talking about? He's calling to mind what he's discussed previously, what he has said before. And, he, and what he talked about before was the incredible work and revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that Jews and Gentiles will be in the kingdom equals. There is no separation between mankind anymore. When Jesus came, he died once and for all. And this is the mysterious message of the gospel. And we're told in God's kingdom there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, rich or poor, male or female. Each and every one of us are equal in Christ. And it's the declaration of this mystery, this all-powerful gospel message that has been given to the church. And it is the church who will declare this message boldly. Not only in what we say, but in how we live. And it will be known by the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Isn't that amazing? Don't you think that's incredible? That the heavenly host will look upon Christ's church and see this incredible plan of God's being worked out. God's plan and purpose for the church is that they be the ambassadors for him, that they be the ones that proclaim his word, that they be used to draw others into the kingdom of God. And it's only in Jesus that we can obtain this boldness and confidence in which to fulfill his will and purpose for each of us as an individual, but for us as a gathered people at Sunnybank District Baptist Church. I'll say it again, we can't change what's happening outside. The world will always be the world, but we can change what's happening in here. Paul starts on his knees. He humbles himself before God. I want you to think about that for a moment. You know, we take that as something that is fairly normal. Think about the Pharisee in the church that Jesus speaks about who stands where everyone can see him. Think about the tax gatherer who stands off to the side. Now, I'm not saying you have to kneel, but for some reason, what is happening here is different to what has happened before in the synagogue and in the temple and everything like that. This isn't the posture that was used for prayer. And I want you to think about this guy, this guy, Paul, who was formerly Saul, who encountered the risen, glorified Christ. And I think every time he approaches that risen, glorified Christ, every time he thinks about praying, he pictures what Christ was like, and he can do nothing but bow before him because he knows who Jesus is. And so he understands how high and mighty and powerful Jesus is, but he knows he can still come to this same Christ and bring his petitions and prayers to him. And Paul comes to him, humbling himself, ridding himself of himself if you like and he wants something from God that's why he's praying but what he wants he wants to be God's will 
He doesn't want anything that is outside God's will and purpose. He doesn't want to pray insignificant prayers. He doesn't want to pray weak prayers. He wants to pray powerful prayers. He wants to pray big prayers, meaningful prayers, prayers that will change the world and change those around him. And so the next logical question is, how should we pray? Especially after what I've said, this is going to sound like a cliche, but we need to think about who it is we pray to. It's, it's something I've been challenged about for quite a while now. We so often hit the floor and, and we just pour out everything that we want and we don't take the time to think about who it is we approach. This almighty, all-powerful, omnipresent, glorified God whose robe fills the temple, who's surrounded by millions of angels, all crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the God we approach. But he's more than that. We have to think about what is important to him. What should we be praying for? We have to ensure also that we believe he will hear our prayers and more than that, that he will answer them. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17 says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Our hope and our prayer is that each and every man, woman and child will have Christ dwelling in their hearts. Amen. Come on, people. What are we on earth for? We are here to bring others into the kingdom of God. That is our commission. That is what we're called to do. We should have this desire to see Christ dwelling richly in the hearts of everyone we know, and even those we don't know. And it's not only just about Christ dwelling richly in their hearts, it's about them being rooted and grounded in that love. That's what this scripture tells us. And as mentioned earlier, Paul said to Timothy that he's talking about the people that are going to be in the church. They'll be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And Paul knows that there's only one way to change those hearts. Paul knows there's only one way to change every heart. There's only one who can change those hearts. There's only one who can build faith. There's only one who can build the church. And it's the very one that we approach in prayer. And when you pray, do you believe God can answer your prayers? Do you pray with expectation, knowing that God's going to move and do something great? I see you nodding your heads. That's absolutely awesome. I haven't always believed it. I, I've shared the story with you before and I'll keep sharing it because it shows failure. I was walking through Garden City. Man's coming towards me in a wheelchair. God said, I want you to go and pray for that man's healing. I didn't do it. I didn't do it because I was afraid nothing would happen. It's my role and job and task to be obedient to God. I've prayed to God and asked for his forgiveness. He's forgiven me. I believe that. And he's taught me a valuable lesson. My role was to go to that person and to pray for them, to ask them if I could pray for them. Do you believe he would have got up and walked away? 
totally irrelevant. It's about my obedience. And if I had have prayed for that man and he got up and walked away, wouldn't that be fantastic? I'd tell you every week for six months. But that's not what the lesson was about. The lesson was about obedience. And if I pray for that man and he just says, thank you very much and wheels himself off, and I never hear whether he was healed or not, that is totally irrelevant because that's God's business. I'm not going to put God in a box and say, when I pray for this man, you, God, are going to make him get up and walk away. I, I, I don't know what this man needs. I've asked people who are in serious health situations, what is it you want me to pray for? And in the back of my mind, it's like, are they going to ask for healing? They're going to ask that they be that that be a miraculous thing, that they will give, be given a length of days and things like that. And again and again and again, these people of faith who have terminal, illness, terminal illnesses don't even ask for healing. They ask for a closer walk with Christ. Where's the true healing? The true healing is in their relationship with God. And I want something that's a miracle. I want him to stand up and walk. But so often that's not what God does. We have to pray prayers that we believe that God is going to answer. And we have to believe he's already answered them when we have prayed. I want you to think about the attitude that we as a people of God now have towards those who need a deeper relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been in churches for a long, long, long time. And I suppose I've always been in leadership, even though I've only been pastoring for eight years. And I've got to tell you that there's glaring deficiencies in the church. Everyone tells me about these glaring deficiencies in the church. You know, there's not a suitable ministry for X, Y, Z. Have you ever heard that? My son or daughter has tried every available Bible study and none of them meet their needs. You need to fix it. The pastors have lost touch with the people and don't know how to bring an appropriate word. We need an XYZ pastor or leader to minister to that particular group of people. And in all of these scenarios, we're asking for more. We're saying we need to fix this and the way to fix it is to bring more in. The way to fix this is to make something else happen. The way to fix this is to elevate certain people so they can be leading that group. We're thinking like people of the world. We're stuck. Our feet are stuck in the clay. That is not the way our God is. How do we pray for our people? Our God... is the God who gives according to the riches of his glory. He's the creator of all things. All things are in submission to him. He is enthroned in unapproachable light. He's surrounded by millions of angels who continuously bow before him and cry, holy, holy, holy. He has all these elders, all these saints who continually cast their crowns before him. They are in submission to him because he is all-powerful and almighty and holy. What do you think he's capable of doing? What do you believe he's capable of providing? He can do anything. But I think we believe he's not willing to. Philippians 4.19 tells us, My God will supply every need of yours according to what? His riches in glory in Jesus. God can and will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. His riches speak about the abundance of God's storehouses. There is nothing he can't get or give us. 
He's not lacking in anything. And his glory is proven in his giving to his children. It gives him great pleasure to do so. So in the midst of this, I want you to think about your prayers. I'm not pointing the finger at you because God's pointed his finger at me first and foremost as I've prepared this message. Do our prayers tap into these riches? And I want to ask you this morning, do not deflect your responsibility in this. If you have not been on your knees constantly asking God for your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, your work colleagues, your neighbours, your friendship group, your church and your leaders to have Christ dwelling in their hearts and that they may be rooted and founded in the love of Christ, then you need to think about that. You need to think about what is best and most needed for each and every person. There's nothing more important than what we're talking about this morning. Nothing. Being rooted and established in his love is about having those deep roots, being firmly established in the faith so that when the challenges come, when doubts intrude, believers will not be swayed. They will know, they will be assured, they will be established in the faith. And as it says, they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of For me, the breath of Christ's love is expressed in this incredible plan of redemption. It embraces all mankind. God's gift of the Lord Jesus Christ is available to each and every person. Jesus paid the price once and for all, for all men to come unto him. Do you believe that? I do. It's an incredible message. The length in which he's willing to show his love is eternal. It goes from everlasting to everlasting. It never stops. It never fails. And the depth of his love is unfathomable. Think about the cost to the Lord Jesus Christ in, to show us, in, in showing us the depth of his love. It goes beyond comprehension that this incredible God, this loving God, would love someone like me and would love me in such a way that he came to this earth to live as a man, to pay the price for me. And not only that, he imparts his righteousness on me. So when I stand before God on that day in glory, God doesn't see me and my sin, and he doesn't judge me as I deserve to be judged. He looks upon me and he sees Jesus and he says, righteous. That is the depth of the love of Christ. And it goes way beyond that. It's not just about what I'll have in glory. He calls me a son and daughter of the Most High God. That is phenomenal. I am a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. When I am glorified, I will be like him. This is incredible, people. Let's get excited about it. I don't know why we don't. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. His love, so high, no enemy can overcome it. And Paul's desire is that all of us will know this incredible love, a love that surpasses knowledge. What's that mean? I mean, how can I know a love that surpasses knowledge? Seriously. I stand before you and I'm supposed to teach you about these things. I can't teach you this. I can't make you aware of this great gift. I mean, I, I, I can make you aware of this great gift. I can talk about it. But I can't make you or get you or give you this love that surpasses knowledge. 
my only hope in making that happen is to pray for you, to get on my knees before God. And I do. And if we want the same for those people we spoke about earlier, your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, your work colleagues, your friends, your church, your church leaders, your pastors, you, hear that clearly, you must humble yourself before God like Paul and be desperate for him to do this. If we do, we will begin to see people who are filled with the fullness of God. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? People who show his light, his love, his wisdom, his holiness, his power, his glory, and they're empowered to transform life. It goes way beyond, way beyond simply being freed from sin. There's much being said this morning. I have to ask you, what is God saying to you? What is Holy Spirit laying on your heart this morning? Do not deny Him. Respond to Him. Perhaps today is one of those first things that I said about you and your house. Have you made that declaration for you and your house to serve the Lord? Wherever you're living, some of us are privileged, like Elena and I, where we own a home. You may be renting our property. It's irrelevant. Wherever you're living, have you prayed through that property? Have you said, Lord, I want this place to be a place where we meet and greet others, where we extend your hospitality to anyone who walks in this door, where we make available to them whatever they need? Have you been willing to do that? I believe that's what it says. You and your house serve the Lord. Elena and I, we were particularly blessed for a period of our life which only recently, since we were serving here, came to an end. I bought a little interim car. I used to have this radical four-wheel drive that was so far off the ground, Elena couldn't get into it. But uh, I used to throw a rope down to her. But, but I had this great four-wheel drive and then it blew up. Yeah, great, eh? And so I bought this little interim car. It was a lovely little Ford Laser and it was in very, very good condition. And I just bought it as an interim car until I bought my next car. I got my next car, which um, was another four-wheel drive. And then we had this little car and we said, well, what are we gonna do with this little car? We should just sell it. And then we got asked in our church at the time, does anyone know anyone who has, this, has a car that uh, these home missionaries can borrow? We went, yeah, we got a car. Gave them the car. We had that car, I don't know, was it four years, Lena? Can't remember. 
We never saw it for that period of time. It had come back. There'd be a couple of things that needed to be doing to it. We'd go, okay, do we sell it? And then we get a phone call saying, hey, do you know anyone who's got a car? <laughs> yeah, we got a car. And we just give the car back to this person. The last people that had it had it for about 12, 18 months. And the car came back to us and I went, whoa, we can't give that to anyone. <laughs> I sold it. Interestingly, I said to God, I said, look, should we fix it up or should we sell it? And I thought, I'd better take it for a drive up the road. And I got out the driveway and the fan belt went and went, no, nah, we're selling it. I'm not, just not touching it anymore. <laughs> but uh, that, that car, we, we, we drove it and we enjoyed it. But it was such a blessing to other people because we made it available. And I'm not saying that to pump myself up, but we've got to think about what we have, what we own. We've got to be open with it. And we've got to be willing to bless people. We, we, we're so blessed. I don't know how many hundreds of people have come through our house already. The first time we opened our house, we had 60 people in one day. It's awesome. And uh, we have young adults continuously through our door. Uh, our house is such that... Actually, something happened recently. Our house is such that when we know people are coming, the front door's open. You do not knock. You just walk in. And um, unfortunately, um, last time we had some young adults over, one of our neighbours came up um, in quite an abusive mood uh, because there was a car parked on the street and she didn't think cars should be parked on the street. And uh, she knocked on the door. So one of the young adults went, who knocks on Charlie's door? And walked down there and she copped the earful. Praise God for her. I didn't have to put up with it. But guys, you know, we, we've got to be free and open with the things that we have, hey? So perhaps God's calling you about that. You and your house, are you going to serve the Lord? Perhaps God's calling you to humble yourself before him. Perhaps he's calling you to commit your life afresh to him this morning, to come to him and repent for any action or attitude that has not been from him. Perhaps he's calling you to ask for his forgiveness. Perhaps it's about the fact you haven't taken your cross up daily to follow him. And perhaps he's laid a pretty heavy conviction on your heart because you haven't prayed in the manner that we've spoken about this morning. Perhaps it's about exactly that, that you haven't known the riches of his glory. And this morning he's given you a little glimpse that there's so much more available to those who serve him. He is the God of so much more. He's willing to give so freely to us. I'm not preaching a prosperity doctrine. He's willing to pour his blessings, his love, his glory out upon us. And perhaps, perhaps you're a little bit like me, where as I prepared this, I realised that I was happy for settling or being satisfied with much less than what he's promised. And I'd ask for his forgiveness for that. I know God has so much more planned for us as a people. I know he's going to do a great work in this place. But guys, we've got to get it right. And we've got to be on our knees before him. I was privileged to be part of the church prayer meeting yesterday. We had five people. And it was awesome. I just, I just love gathering with people. And these people, all five of them, wanted to be there. All five of them were passionate about what God is doing in this place. And all five of them continuously prayed for God to do a great work in this place, that he would humble his people. And they weren't led or directed by me. That was what Holy Spirit laid on their heart. And they were earnestly seeking God and his purposes and will. Can you think about some of the stuff that's happened to you? A couple of weeks ago, we had Kids Club. 
52 people came to faith. That is a movement of God. That is absolutely phenomenal. Please continue to pray for those people that that seed that has been planted in their heart will be watered and nurtured and grown, that we'll see these people as disciplined followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want. We don't want just converts. Straight after that, we had Teen Street, with not, which not a lot of people in this church are involved in. Teen Street would be, by, would be the largest teenage camp in the state. It is massive. And in that, there was... At this stage, I've been told 15 to 20 teenagers came to faith. There were 15 second commitments or, or you know, recommitments, if you like to put it that way. Another 35 came to faith. 87 people in the last two weeks that we know of. That's a powerful movement of God. Do you want that for here? Do you want us to be a people who are so counter to the world that people look upon us and go, you know what? These guys are freaks, but they're freaks in a good way. What is going on? Unbeknownst to you, we get people walking in here regularly. We've got a couple who are in our Asian congregation with their kids. They walked in here one Sunday night. They saw the Chinese writing on the sign. They said, we want to know about Jesus. It's happening, folks. God's going to keep bringing them in if we are faithful to him and his call. And we're willing to do what he says. Let's stop being negative. Let's get on our knees. Let's ask God to do his will and purpose in this place. And as far as it depends on you, choose to do the right thing. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you, Lord, that it challenges us, it challenged me. And Lord, I want to ask you your forgiveness for the times we fail to appreciate all you can do. And Lord, my prayer this morning is everyone who hears my voice will know the breadth and length and height and depth of your love that Jesus will dwell richly in our hearts that Lord we will follow you we will be those who want to walk with you that we will know the fullness of God. People of SDBC, now to him who is able to do far more, far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power of work within us, to him be the glory in this church, in SDBC and in the wider church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. People, it's between you and God. Please come down the front and pray. I'd love to pray with you. Thanks, Pastor Charlie.